Section 7 of The Book of Sir Marco Polo, the Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of Sir Marco Polo, the Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1, by Rasticello da Pisa. Translated by Henry Yule. Introductory Notes, Part 7. Rusticiano, or Rusticello, of Pisa. Marco Polo's fellow prisoner at Genoa. The scribe who wrote down the travels. We have now to say something of that Rusticiano, to whom all who value Polo's book are so much indebted. The relations between Genoa and Pisa had long been so hostile that it was only too natural in 1298 to find a Pisan in the jail of Genoa. An unhappy multitude of such prisoners had been carried thither fourteen years before, and the survivors still lingered there in vastly dwindled numbers. In the summer of 1284 was fought the battle from which Pisa had to date the commencement of our long decay. In July of that year the Pisans, at a time when the Genoese had no fleet in their own immediate waters, had advanced to the very port of Genoa, and shot their defiance into the proud city in the form of silver-headed arrows and stones belted with scarlet. They had to pay dearly for this insult. The Genoese, recalling their cruisers, speedily mustered a fleet of eighty-eight galleys, which were placed under the command of another of that illustrious house of Doria, the Scipios of Genoa, as they have been called, Uberto, the elder brother of Lamba. Lamba himself, with his six sons and another brother, was in the fleet, whilst the whole number of Dorias who fought in the ensuing action amounted to two hundred and fifty, most of them on board one great galley bearing the name of the family patron, St. Matthew, the Pisans, more than one-fourth inferior in strength, came out boldly, and the battle was fought off the Porto Pisano, in fact close in front of Leghorn, where a lighthouse on a remarkable arched basement still marks the islet of Meloria, whence the battle got its name. The day was the 6th of August, the Feast of St. Sixtus, a day memorable in the Pisan Fasti for several great victories but on this occasion the defeat of Pisa was overwhelming. Forty of their galleys were taken or sunk, and upwards of nine thousand prisoners carried to Genoa. In fact, so vast a sweep was made at the flower of Pisan manhood that it was a common saying then, Che volveda Pisa, vada Genoa. Many noble ladies of Pisa went in large companies on foot to Genoa to seek their husbands or kinsmen. Quote, and when they made inquiry of the keepers of the prisons, the reply would be, Yesterday there died thirty of them, today there have died forty, all of whom we have cast into the sea, and so it is daily. A body of prisoners so numerous and important naturally exerted themselves in the cause of peace, and through their efforts, after many months of negotiation, a formal peace was signed. 15th April, 1288. But through the influence, as was alleged, of Count Ugolino, Dantes, who was then in power at Pisa, the peace became abortive. War almost immediately recommenced, 
and the prisoners had no release. And when the six thousand or seven thousand Venetians were thrown into the prisons of Genoa in October 1298, they would find there the scanty surviving remnant of the Pisan prisoners of Meloria, and would gather from them dismal forebodings of the fate before them. It is a fair conjecture that to that remnant Rusticiano of Pisa may have belonged. We have seen Ramusio's representation of the kindness shown to Marco during his imprisonment by a certain Genoese gentleman who also assisted him to reduce his travels to writing. We may be certain that this Genoese gentleman is only a distorted image of Rusticiano, the Pisan prisoner in the jail of Genoa whose name and part in the history of his hero's book Ramusio so strangely ignores. Yet patriotic Genoese writers in our own times have striven to determine the identity of this their imaginary countryman. Who, then, was Rusticiano, or, as the name actually is read in the oldest type of manuscript, Messer Rustician de Peace? Our knowledge of him is but scanty. Still something is known of him beside the few words concluding his preamble to our traveller's book, which you may read at pages one and two of the body of this volume. In Sir Walter Scott's Essay on Romance, when he speaks of the new mould in which the subjects of the old metrical stories were cast by the school of prose romancers which arose in the thirteenth century, we find the following words, quote, Whatever fragments or shadows of true history may yet remain hidden under the mass of accumulated fable which had been heaped upon them during successive ages, must undoubtedly be sought in the metrical romances. But those prose authors who wrote under the imaginary names of Rusticien de Pise, Robert de Boron, and the like, usually seized upon the subject of some old minstrel, and recomposing the whole narrative after their own fashion, with additional character and adventure, totally obliterated in that operation any shades which remained of the original and probably authentic tradition. Evidently, therefore, Sir Walter regarded Rusticien of Pisa as a person belonging to the same ghostly company as his own Cleisbothams and Dryostus. But in this we see that he was wrong. In the great Paris library and elsewhere there are manuscript volumes containing the stories of the round table, abridged and somewhat clumsily combined from the various prose romances of that cycle, such as Sir Tristan, Lancelot, Palamides, Giron le Courtois, etc., which had been composed, it would seem, by various Anglo-French gentlemen at the court of Henry III, styled, or styling themselves, Gas le Blanc, Luce Dugas, Robert de Bouron, and Elie de Bouron. And these abridgments or recasts are professedly the work of Le Maistre Rusticien de Pise. Several of them were printed at Paris in the end of the fifteenth and beginning of the sixteenth centuries as the works of Rusticien de Pise, and as the preambles and the like, especially in the form presented in those printed editions, appear to be due sometimes to the original composers, as Robert and Elie de Bouron, and sometimes to Rusticien de Pise, the recaster, there would seem to have been a good deal of confusion made in regard to their respective personalities. From a preamble to one of those compilations, which undoubtedly belongs to Rusticien, 
and which we shall quote at length by and by, we learn that Master Rusician translated, or perhaps transferred, his compilation from a book belonging to King Edward of England, at the time when that prince went beyond seas to recover the Holy Sepulchre. Now Prince Edward started for the Holy Land in 1270, spent the winter of that year in Sicily, and arrived in Palestine in May 1271. He quitted it again in August 1272, and passed again by Sicily, where in January 1273 he heard of his father's death and his own consequent accession. Paulin Paris supposes that Rustician was attached to the Sicilian court of Charles of Anjou, and that Edward, quote, may have deposited with that king the romances of the round table of which all the world was talking, but the manuscripts of which were still very rare, especially those of the work of Helly de Bouron. Whether by order or only with permission of the king of Sicily, Arusician made haste to read, abridge, and rearrange the whole, and when Edward returned to Sicily, he recovered possession of the book from which the indefatigable Pison had extracted the contents. End quote. But this, I believe, is, in so far as it passes the facts stated in Rustician's own preamble, pure hypothesis, for nothing is cited that connects Rustician with the King of Sicily. And if there be not some such confusion of personality as we have alluded to, in another of the preambles, which is quoted by Dunlop as an utterance of Rustician's, that personage would seem to claim to have been a comrade-in-arms of the two de Bons. We might therefore conjecture that Rustician himself had accompanied Prince Edward to Syria. Rustician's literary work appears from the extracts and remarks of Paulin Paris to be that of an industrious, simple man, without method or much judgment. Quote, the haste with which he worked is too perceptible. The adventures are told without connection. You find long stories of Tristan, followed by adventures of his father, Meliadus. For the latter derangement of historical sequence, we find a quaint and ingenious apology offered in Rustician's epilogue to Giron le Courtois. Quote, si fin le maître Rusticien de Pise son compte en louant et régression le père le fit et le Saint-Esprit et un mesme Dieu, fille de la Benoise, Vierge Marie, de ce qu'il m'a donné grâce, sens, force et mémoire, temps et lieu, de me mener afin de si haute et si noble matière comme celle-ci dont j'ai traité les faits et prouesse récitée et recordée à mon livre. Et c'est aucun me demande pourquoi j'ai parlé de Tristan avant que de son père, le roi Miliadus, le respond que ma matière ne soit pas connue. Car je ne puis pas, ce qu'avoir tout, ne mettre toutes mes paroles par ordre, et ainsi fin mon compte. Amen. End quote. In a passage of these compilations, the Emperor Charlemagne is asked whether in his judgment King Meliadus or his son Tristan were the better man. The Emperor's answer is, quote, I should say that the King Meliadus was the better man, and I will tell you why I say so. As far as I can see, 
everything that tristan did was done for love and his great feats would never have been done but under the constraint of love which was his spur and goad now that never can be said of king meliadus for what deeds he did he did them not by dint of love but by dint of his strong right arm purely out of his own goodness he did good and not by constraint of love End quote. it will be seen remarks on this paulin paris quote, that we are here a long way removed from the ordinary principles of round-table romances and one thing besides will be manifest, that is, that Rassicien de Pise was no Frenchman. The same discretion is shown even more prominently in a passage of one of his compilations, which contains the romances of Arthur, Giron, and Meliadus, number 6975. No doubt, Rassicien says, quote, other books tell the story of the Queen Ginevra and Lancelot differently from this and there were certain passages between them of which the master, in his concern for the honour of both those personages, will say not a word. Alas, says the French bibliographer, that the copy of Lancelot which fell into the hands of poor Francesca of Rimini was not one of those expurgated by our worthy friend Rustician. A question may still occur to an attentive reader as to the identity of this romance compiler, Rustician de Pise, with the Messire Rustation de Pise, of a solitary manuscript of Polo's work, though the oldest and most authentic, a name which appears in other copies as Rustapisan, Rastapisan, Rusticellus Civis Pisanus, Rustico, Rustacio da Pisa, Stasio da Pisa, and who is stated in the preamble to have acted as a traveller's scribe at Genoa. M. Poutier, indeed, asserts that the French of the manuscript Romances of Rustillon de Pise is of the same barbarous character as that of the early French manuscript of Polo's book to which we have just alluded, and which we shall show to be the nearest presentation of the work as originally dictated by the traveller. The language of the latter manuscript is so peculiar that this would be almost perfect evidence of the identity of the writers if it were really the fact. A cursory inspection which I have made of two of those manuscripts in Paris, and the extracts which I have given, and am about to give, do not, however, by any means support M. Poutier's view. Nor would that view be consistent with the judgment of so competent an authority as Paulin Paris, implied in his calling Rustician a non-recommandable in old French literature, and his speaking of him as versed in the secrets of the French romance tongue. In fact, the difference of language in the two cases would really be a difficulty in the way of identification if there were room for doubt. This, however, Paulin Paris seems to have excluded finally by calling attention to the peculiar formula of preamble which is common to the book of Marco Polo and to one of the romance compilations of Rustician de Pise. The former will be found in English at pages 1, 2 of our translation, but we give a part of the original below for comparison with the preamble to the romances of Meliadus, Tristan, and Lancelot, as taken from manuscript 6961 of the Perry Library. Quote, Seigneur, Empereur et Prince, Duc et Comte et Baron et Chevalier et Vavasseur et Bourgeois, et tous les prud'hommes de ces huit mondes 
qui avait talent de futilité en romance, s'y prenait ses deux livres et le fait lire de chef en chef, s'y aurait toutes les grandes aventures qui adviendront entre les chevaliers à rang du temps au roi Uther Pendragon, jusqu'à le temps au roi Artu son fils et des compagnons de la table ronde, et sachez tout vraiment que si livre fut translaté du livre Monseigneur Édouard le Roi d'Angleterre en solitant qu'il passa outre la mer au service Notre Seigneur d'Amédieu pour conquester le sang sepulcre. Et Maître Rossicien de Pise, lequel est imaginé ici dessus, compila ce romnant, car il en translata toutes les merveilleuses nouvelles et aventures qu'il trouva en ce livre et traita tout certainement de toutes les aventures du monde et si sachez qu'il traitera plus de monsieur lancelot du lac et monsieur tristan le fils au roi Méliadus de lénois qui d'autres parce qu'ils furent sans fait les meilleurs chevaliers qui à ce temps furent en terre et l'y mettre on dira de ces deux plusieurs choses et plusieurs nouvelles que l'on trouvera écrit en tous les autres livres, et parce que le maître le trouva écrit au livre d'Angleterre. Certainly, Paulin Paris observes, quote, there is a singular analogy between these two prefaces and it must be remarked that the formula is not an ordinary one with translators, compilers, or authors of the 13th and 14th centuries, perhaps you would not find a single other example of it. End quote. This seems to place beyond question the identity of the romance compiler of Prince Edward's suite in 1270 and the prisoner of Genoa in 1298. In Dunlop's History of Fiction, a passage is quoted from the preamble of Miliadus, as set forth in the Paris printed edition of 1528, which gives us to understand that Rusticien de Pise had received as a reward for some of his compositions from King Henry III the prodigal gift of two châteaux. I gather, however, from passages in the work of Paulin Paris, that this must certainly be one of those confusions of persons to which I have referred before, and that the recipient of the château was in reality Hélie de Bouron, the author of some of the originals which Rusticien manipulated. This supposed incident in Rusticien's scanty history must therefore be given up. We call this worthy Rusticien, or Rusticiano, as the nearest probable representation in Italian form of the Rusticien of the Round Table Manuscripts, and the Rustations of the Old Text of Polo. But it is highly probable that his real name was Rusticello, as suggested by the form Rusticellus in the early Latin version published by the Société de Géographie. The change of one liquid for another never goes for much in Italy, and Rusticello might easily gallicize himself as Rusticien. In a very long list of Pisan officials during the Middle Ages, I find several bearing the name of Rusticello or Rusticelli, but no Rusticiano or Rusticiano. Respecting him, we have only to add that the peace between Genoa and Venice was speedily followed by a treaty between Genoa and Pisa. On the 31st July 1299, 
a truce for twenty-five years was signed between those two republics. It was a very different matter from that between Genoa and Venice, and contained much that was humiliating and detrimental to Pisa. But it embraced the release of prisoners, and those of Meloria, reduced it is said to less than one tithe of their original number, had a liberty at last. Among the prisoners then released, no doubt Rustician was one. But we hear of him no more. End of section 7